Welcome to Brisbane West Vineyards podcast. It's great to have you with us. We're a community of people sharing God's love, power, and life that's revealed in Jesus. We gather Sundays, 5 p.m. at Good News Lutheran School in Middle Park. We exist simply for the King and His kingdom, that His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's just a great pleasure to be here with Jonathan and Helen. They're very good friends. They're great people. So you should get alongside and cheer them along as much as you can uh, and, uh, and enjoy what they carry. What a wonderful uh, song. And I haven't heard that one before that, uh, that Michael and Joe played uh, and sang for us. But it's got these words, it's, it's so much better your way. Did you hear the words in that song? And I can't, I'm not really, you know, great at remembering songs, but those words, it's so much better your way. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. It's actually so much better God's way. We've invented all kinds of ways of doing things. And if you haven't noticed, it doesn't work so well. And we've been trying that in the church in this nation for the last 50 years. And demographically and statistically, is the numbers in the church going up or down? Significantly down, is that right? But we're continuing to try to do things the same way we've doing for the last 50 years. So that makes no scientific sense whatsoever. And I'm a trained scientist as well as a, as a preacher. It makes, it makes no sense. We keep doing the same experiment and we keep getting the same result and next time we expect it to work. And here's what we've tried. Oh, there's nobody in the church, must be the pastor's fault. So we sack the pastor. Ah, we've sacked them. Well, it must be the youth worker if you've got one. We will sack them. No. Well, it must be the elders. Let's get new ones. Well, that didn't work. Oh, bother. Let's go to the Christian bookshop and get the latest program from South Korea or America or Africa. Whatever's working over there, let's strap it on and make it work here. Have you noticed it doesn't work? It doesn't. And yet we keep on doing that. So why don't we think and step back and say, well, I wonder what God's way is rather than whatever the latest program that most of those programs, not the, not the ones written by Christians, but the, the way of thinking and getting a program that just comes out of the business world, friends. That's where that comes from. It doesn't come from the throne room. The guys who wrote the program that worked in South Korea, they got it from the throne room. And it worked there because they got it from the throne room. But it might not work here because we were just too lazy to try and get our own strategy from heaven and got one someone else had worked with and hoped it would work here. E.M. Bounds, the great writer on prayer, has this amazing statement. He says, prayer causes the gospel to fly to the hearts of people. Do you hear that quote again? Prayer causes the gospel to fly to the hearts of people. So if prayer is an arrow, and I'll need to put my microphone down, if prayer is the arrow of the gospel flying to the hearts of people, and that's, and that's where the gospel's got to go, is that right? To the heart, not to the head, to the heart. If prayer is that arrow then if, if the gospel's that arrow, well, obviously, what's, what's prayer? It's the bow 
that pulls back that releases the arrow. Does that make some sense? So you've got to pull it back. There's got to be prayer, and prayer releases the gospel to the hearts of men and women. So you can basically put it in a nice little uh, kind of mathematical formula. No prayer, no power. Pray first and preach second. We do it the other way around. In the book of Acts, in, uh, in chapter 6, the apostles are struggling with, uh, with the morning tea roster. And uh, there's an argument about whether the, the Jewish widows are getting as much food as the Hebraic widows, the, the Greek widows, and, and they're, all, they're just having a big fight over it. And the apostles say, right, it's time to appoint some people to sort that out. And that's where the, the deacons are appointed. But I want you to notice what it is that the leaders of the church say they need to focus on. Can you remember? What do they say they've got to focus on? We need to focus on prayer and the ministry of the word. Now, here's the problem. When I went to theological college, I was trained and ordained as a minister of the word. Half's missing. You see that? Half's missing. Oh, sorry. Use my microphone. Beg your pardon. Half the deal is missing. Now, I'm not picking on that particular theological college because I'm pretty sure it's fairly consistent right across theological education. We're teaching young people, candidates for ministry, to be ministers of the Word, to preach the Word. But what we haven't done is teach them to pray. Well, they did teach me to pray and I almost failed liturgical lessons, but I could pray professionally. So I can pray at a funeral, I can pray at a wedding, I can pray at a baptism, but that all comes from here because I was trained to do that. We, we've separated those two, but it's prayer that causes the gospel to fly to the hearts of people. So if you want to know why the preaching is having no power and no effect in this city of Brisbane, it's because there's no prayer behind the preaching. Did you hear that? Can someone just say a mild, yeah, I think that might be right. Because when, it doesn't matter how fancy the preacher is, if there's no prayer, the, the, the gospel just falls to the ground in front of the lectern. And that's why we sack the preacher, because we think, well, you should be praying. Well, yes, but we should be praying. We're supposed to be praying to, to launch evangelism into the community. It starts with prayer, friends. That's where it's always started, biblically, and throughout the history of the church in this nation. It starts with prayer. Now, I'm going to kind of see if you could manage to get that video clip up. I want you to have a look at this video clip now of a, of a, a US aircraft carrier and have a look at what's going on. Yeah, here we go.
Prayer launches evangelism. I'm not sure if you're aware of how an aircraft carrier works. On land, it takes quite a way for, a, for an aircraft to take off. Is that correct? But look at the very short runway on there. Do you know what's happening there? All an aircraft carrier is, is a very sophisticated bow and arrow. So just like we said that prayer launches evangelism, just a simple bow and arrow, well, an aircraft carrier, if you lay a bow and arrow on its side, that's exactly what's happening. There's a big cord underneath there that's pulled back and it launches the aircraft and off goes the mission to wherever it is. So biblically speaking, these guys, these fighter aircraft are dropping love bombs all over the place. They're the evangelists, but it's the prayer, the whole ship is launching that mission. It's not a cruise ship. Because on a cruise ship, it's there to look after and pander to our needs. On an aircraft carrier, everything is about launching the mission. This church is an aircraft carrier, not a cruise ship. Oh, bother. <laughs> and, and that's part of our misunderstanding. Well, they're there to look after me. No. We're here to complete the great commission that Jesus called us to. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Jesus' life and mission and ministry on earth was launched in prayer. Do you realize that? After his baptism, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert. For how many days? And what was he doing in the desert, by the way? Praying and fasting. Oh, look at that. And during that time, he was, he was battling powers and principalities and the devil came to him and he said, you know, it is written, it is written, it is written. And when Jesus walked out of the desert, it says in Luke chapter 4, he was dripping. He was full of the Spirit. He was in the power of the Spirit. And that word power means signs and wonders and miracles power. Jesus was dripping with the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he was Jesus and Jesus is special? No, because he'd spent 40 days in prayer and fasting. And as the Father sent the Son, he is sending us. So I want to show that to you now in the Scriptures. We want to go through and lay this foundation for you. So if you've got your Bibles there, open up to Luke chapter 11. Luke 11, starting at verse 1, and this is Jesus' teaching on prayer. It goes all the way through uh, to verse 13. We could spend several months just unpacking what's taught here, 
But the first thing that we see in this teaching on prayer is that the disciples come to Jesus with a really simple request, teach us to pray. That's a really good place to start your prayer meetings. Jesus, would you teach us to pray? Then there's a whole pile of amazing lessons that come after that. But finally, the last lesson in prayer in Luke 11. So this is the take-home message. This is what this is the Jesus was a great teacher, so he understood how that worked. These disciples were just a bunch of hillbillies from North Queensland, oh, sorry, Galilee, and um, and they were the, the, they might not remember all the stuff that went before, but the last point that's the bit that you get as you go out the door. Every school teacher knows that. That's what they were going to hang on to, and this is the last lesson in Luke chapter eleven, verse thirteen, and Jesus says. You know, you parents who are evil, you know how to give good gifts. Then he says, well, how much more will your heavenly father give, do you know what he's going to give, the, to those who ask, how much more will the father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. This is the last lesson on prayer. So why do we need the Holy Spirit to pray? Firstly, the Holy Spirit is going to teach us what Jesus taught So the disciples came and said, teach us how to pray. Well, the Holy Spirit is going to do that for us. He's going to remind us and teach us what Jesus taught. The Holy Spirit is also going to help us with our intimate personal relationship with our Heavenly Father. It's the Holy Spirit in us that cries out, Abba, Father, Daddy God. He's the one that draws that from us. The Holy Spirit will help us to pray when we don't know what to pray. So in Romans 8 verses 26 and 27, when the Lord says, well, you you don't know how to pray and you don't know what to pray for, but the Holy Spirit, the helper, he, he will pray on your behalf. He will pray in accordance with the Father's will, with groans and words that we cannot understand. The Holy Spirit helps us to pray when we don't know how to pray. So do we actually really know how to be praying for West Brisbane? Well, not really because we're not really sure of all their needs. But who does know the needs of the families in West Brisbane? Our Heavenly Father. And he's put his spirit in our hearts to pray in accordance with his will. So the Holy Spirit knows the needs of the people in West Brisbane. And if we're prepared to listen, he will show us how to pray. The Holy Spirit will give us a prayer language. 
That's called praying in tongues. And 1 Corinthians chapter 14 unpacks all that. It's a powerful gift to build you up in your inner person spiritually. The Holy Spirit is the one who does that. And finally, the Holy Spirit is called, one of his names is a spirit of supplication. This is Zechariah 12 and verse 10. So the Holy Spirit is actually called the the spirit of prayer. So why do we need the Holy Spirit? Jesus said, ask. Well, here are the reasons why we need the Holy Spirit in our prayer life. So having just seen all that, why don't we pause and just ask two simple questions in prayer? There's more to come, but we're just going to pause here for a moment. Why don't you spend some time just saying, Jesus, teach me to pray. And then, Holy Spirit, take control of my prayer life. Would you just spend a moment or two praying that now? Father, we thank you that you are a good, good Father and you give good, good gifts. So we receive your gift of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come and teach us what Jesus taught about prayer. Come and take control of our prayer life in Jesus' name. Amen. So if that was the basics of Jesus' teaching on prayer, did the disciples learn the lesson? Because that's a really important question to ask. Did, Did it work? Did they learn what Jesus taught? And the answer is a categorical yes, yes, and yes. Now, they might have fallen asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane, But that was before the Holy Spirit had fallen on them, before the spirit of prayer had taken control. That reading that uh, that Helen brought us from from John 19, that's when Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the... That's when they received the Holy Spirit. They received the Spirit then. So let's have a look biblically now at the connection between prayer and evangelism. Because I'm wanting to show you that prayer launches evangelism. It's not the other way around. It's not that we organize a big evangelistic program and then think, oh, we better get some people praying. That's the wrong way around. It's prayer that launches evangelism, not evangelism releasing prayer. So did it work? Well, let's have a look in the Scriptures in the book of Acts. Let's have a look at the facts that we've got here. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 14, it tells us that the believers were gathered together in one accord and they were constantly in prayer. 
How long were they praying for? How long was that constantly in prayer? Well, it, it probably was up to 10 days because Jesus was crucified at Passover and we know the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost and Pentecost is how many days after Passover? 50. And, and how many days after uh, Passover was Jesus? Uh, did Jesus ascend to heaven? How many? 40. So there's a 10-day period in there and you can argue, well, maybe it was, you know, with the resurrection and there's a two days and I, I don't mind if you argue it was 10 or 8. or they, they were praying solidly, constantly in one accord for 8 to 10 days. Now, what was the result of that? Now, this is where we normally focus. We think, oh, the Holy Spirit fell and fire came down and they spoke in tongues and well, yes, but how many people got saved that day? 3,000. Did you hear that? They prayed in one accord constantly for 10 days and 3,000 people got saved. Yes, please, Lord. Or what about in Acts chapter 2, in verse 42? It describes the four things that the early church were devoted to. They were devoted to, one, the apostles' teaching, two, fellowship, three, breaking of bread, going from house to house and communion, and four, oops, got too many fingers up. What was the fourth thing they were devoted to? Prayer. How effective was that prayer? Well, in Acts 2 verse 47, Luke records for us, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Yes, please, Lord. Daily those who were being saved. A couple of weeks ago, there was this awesome story that began to circulate around the church in the area up in the Fassifern Valley where we live out in Boona. Because one particular church was jumping up and down and doing handstands, not literally, but spiritually speaking, because someone had given their heart to Jesus that Sunday morning and that was the first salvation that some people could remember in their entire history in the church. And they were, they were, they were excited and rightly so. But what does the scripture say here? The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Why? They were devoted to prayer. They were constantly in prayer. They were in one accord in prayer. In Acts chapter 4. We see that they all raised their voice together in prayer. That was all out loud at once, praying. Peter and John had been given a lecture by the religious leaders and the church was praying praying in one accord, out loud at once. Have you been in a Korean prayer meeting before? Have you been in an African prayer meeting? Have, have, you, have you been in a, in a Solomon Islanders prayer meeting? It's not quiet, is it? It's all at once. We had the 
the great pleasure of being in a Korean church. Uh, must have been Australia Day, wasn't it? The beginning of this year. And the prayer started at about hmm, seven or eight o'clock in the evening. And it went out loud all at once until 10, 10 11 o'clock when they had to call it quits because all the neighbours were probably going to start complaining. And this, this sounded like a 747 taking off. It was just a constant outpouring roar and they were crying out for revival in this nation is what they were praying for. Praying out loud at once in one accord and at the end of that section, it says they were all filled, Acts 4 verse 31, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and with boldness. Yes, please, Lord. Yeah, yes, please. But what about in Acts 6? And I've, I've already made uh, some uh, comment to that. In Acts 6, we see the leaders devoting themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And Luke records for us that that the church increased rapidly in Jerusalem. You see, Luke was a doctor and and he was wanting us to make these connections. It's really obvious. It just goes prayer, evangelism, prayer, evangelism, prayer, evangelism, all, all the way through. We've read over the top of those things. Well, what about in Acts 13? Whoops. Go backwards. There we go. In Acts 13, the leaders of the church again are fasting and praying and worshipping the Lord. It doesn't say for how long. And what happened after that? The gospel goes to Europe. Barnabas and Saul are sent to Europe. Thousands are swept into the kingdom over the next uh, century or so. Do you see the connection? When the church prays in one accord, constantly crying out to the Lord for the lost, It releases the evangelists so that the harvest is brought in. Prayer launches evangelism, just like an aircraft carrier launches those fighter aircraft. That's the role that's going on. So on the the deck of the aircraft carrier, all those people are all the prayer warriors. They're the ones who are preparing to launch the evangelism. The whole ship is focused, even the cook is focused on what? getting those aircraft off that flight deck and getting them back safely. That's the whole focus. And that's the calling of the church, isn't it? To launch evangelism and bring our evangelists safely home and encourage them and release them again. I don't know if you've met many people who've been on the mission field and who are no longer even in church. A significant number of missionaries who are just burned out, exhausted and cheesed off. I wonder why. 
So this kind of prayer that we're talking about here, this prayer that launches evangelism, what, how does the Bible describe that kind of prayer? Well, in James chapter 5 and verse 16, James describes it like this, and I'm uh, expanding uh, the words that are written there. And it says, The fervent, persistent, earnest, heartfelt prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective and accomplishes much. So we're talking about fervent prayer, talking about travail, talking about crying out to the Lord and weeping in prayer for the lost. Who can pray like this? Just the prayer specialist? No, according to this scripture in James, a righteous person. That's every believer in Jesus because you have been declared righteous by the precious blood of Jesus. And and the example that James uses in James chapter 5 is Elijah. Now, I don't have time to unpack that whole uh, passage about Elijah, but the one thing that we can notice, it talks about, well, Elijah was a man just like us and Elijah prayed. Now, we focus on the rain coming, but the main purpose of Elijah's ministry was to do what? To call the children of God back to worshipping the Lord. So a whole people group came back to the Lord because of one person's prayer. How awesome is that? That's the kind of prayer that's being spoken about. Oops, already done that. So if the early church learnt the lesson of prayer, has the Australian church learnt this lesson in prayer? What do you think the answer might be to that? No? How many vote no? How many vote not sure? How many vote I think this is a trick question? Can I say to you that the Australian church has learnt this lesson, but at the moment we've forgotten it. This nation was birthed in prayer. And I'm not sure if you're aware of that, but there was this mega prayer meeting that began in the Midlands of England in 1784, four years before the first fleet arrived here. And the power of that prayer set forth the second great awakening and all the great missionary organisations were released in Great Britain because of that prayer meeting in that little village that began there and revival went whoosh across England, Scotland, Ireland, Wales and the United States. And Reverend Richard Johnson, the first chaplain to this colony, he and his wife, that they were released by the praying men and women of England when they stepped onto this soil of this nation, it was the direct result of the prayers of the praying men and women of Great Britain. Now, that might be awkward for us to hear, but Great Britain is our spiritual mother. So don't bash the palms anymore. Thank God the Lord has sent Jonathan and Helen here. Because guess where they come from? Mm, Great Britain. 
the early preachers of the gospel in this nation were men and women of prayer. Reverend Johnson, Reverend Marsden, Reverend Samuel Lee, the first Methodist missionary. In uh, 1838, there was this uh, Welsh man by the name of Old Tom Brown. Now, this is getting even closer to what Jonathan and Helen carry. Tom Brown was a Welshman and a prize boxer who used to have his sport fun in Wales on a Sunday afternoon going down into the parks and beating the snozzle out of preaching Methodists. That's what he used to do. And one Sunday arvo, before he could lay a fist on one of these preachers, he heard the gospel and got radically saved. Bought himself a ticket to come to, uh, to New South Wales. Not long after he got here, he got back on the grog in, uh, in Sydney town and uh, he was out the back of Parramatta somewhere and this huge big lightning bolt hit the tree beside him and he got down on his face again and said, sorry, Lord, I'm all yours now. And you can Google this name. It's, it's, all, it's even in Google's got it, even. Old Tom Brown. Old Tom Brown was a passionate man of prayer and from that prayer flowed powerful evangelism. This is how Tom Brown used to pray. He would be in a meeting, and this is recorded in Camden, in cow pastures down the back of Sydney there. Whenever old Tom Brown discerned that the Holy Spirit was beginning to move and work in people's hearts, he would stand up at the front of the church while other things are still happening, and he would pray in his booming, loud Welsh voice, Holy Spirit, show them Jesus. And he would keep praying that out loud, nonstop, until the Holy Spirit answered that prayer and those people had seen Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. How's that for prayer? By the time he'd moved down to Goulburn in the, in the highlands of New South Wales, by the 1850s, there was such an outpouring of God's Spirit through the ministry of this man of prayer that two or three hundred people were gathering every morning at 7 a.m. for a prayer meeting with fasting to be praying for their lost family members. So many people got saved in that region that Tom Brown records in his, uh, his uh, diary he says, if I were to go up on the hill out the back here and, uh, and, and offer free grog to anybody, there'd be 10 times more people in Wesley Vale Church than there would be coming for free grog. Think about that. What would that be like in Brisbane? F free grog at, uh, at Suncorp? And free prayer out at the new stadium out here, the Lions Stadium at, uh, at Springfield. Which would get the bigger crowd? That's not even a question, is it? It's an obvious answer. But the evangelism that was released from the prayer in the community of Goulburn turned the culture around the other way. in a little country town just out of Inverell in northern New South Wales in the 1960s. The town's name is Gilgai. 
tiny little place to half a horse town. There was an elderly prayer warrior there who was getting on in her years and wanted to train other people to pray and travail and plead with God for the lost. And so she gathered around her a group of younger people and began to teach them how to plead with God for their lost family members, their husbands or wives, their, their parents or their children and, 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 uh, and, and relatives. And she taught them how to plead with God in travail, this kind of James uh, 5 prayer that we're talking about. But unfortunately, that kind of prayer is a little bit loud. And uh, so she couldn't hold it in her lounge room of her house, they used to go out and pray in the chookyard. And so they had prayer meetings in her chookyard, crying out and pleading with God to save and they would be naming all their lost family members. One of those young uh, ladies there was married and you could only be described as a brute of a man who was violently opposed to the gospel. And one day when they were in the chookyard praying, she could see out of the corner of her eye her husband storming across the paddock to come and drag her out of the prayer meeting. So she didn't want to have a scene there in the chookyard with all her other friends and the, and the, and the prayer warriors. So she went out to meet her husband uh, out, out there and they met in the main street of this little country town called Gilgai and this brute of a man raised his fist to beat his wife and the Holy Spirit knocked him to the ground and radically saved him there and then. Now, that man's name was Harold Jubry, and you can Google his name because he became a very famous healing American, a healing evangelist in America. But when that happened, when he was radically saved, revival went whoosh across the whole of that New England region, all around Inverell, Ashford, Tinga, Gilgai, hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of people were swept into the kingdom. The Indigenous aunties told us that every Indigenous family in that whole region, except one, was swept into the kingdom in that revival that went on. It was launched in prayer, my friends. They didn't plan it. It happened as they prayed. Just recently in the New South Wales country town of Kempsey, a few years ago, the pastor of one of the churches there got fed up with feeding fat sheep on a Sunday morning. That's, do you understand what that means? Just people coming to church, sermon sipping, nice sermon pastor, thank you very much, you know, and, and just every Sunday, nothing happening. He's, he, he was desperate to see the culture of the church change and to see Sunday morning, and these are his words, become harvest time. So instead of feeding fat believers, spiritually fat, he wanted to see the lost saved. And he partnered with the prayer leader of their church and invited her to put together and handpick a prayer team and train them and equip them to begin to pray for the lost. That prayer team, and it's still happening now, they turn up at 6 a.m. every Sunday morning to that church and they spend two hours in prayer pleading with God for the lost. That's their sole focus. 
And that church, and I've spoke to the, emailed the lady not all that long ago, that church is seeing one salvation every Sunday and that's been going on for the last four or five years. Now that's a significant number. Midweek, they do all the discipling and the training. But Sunday is harvest time. Why? What's going on? They're praying it in. They're praying for the gospel to penetrate the hearts of people. And how do they get people into the church? Well, that's another prayer meeting because midweek they gather together a whole pile of food from various farmers and and shops and things and they ask the Lord, Father, who should we take this food to? And they wait until the Lord tells them a name, a place, a street, an area, and they go and they give that food to those people. And they knock on the door and they've been stunned by people saying, how did you know? We, we haven't had any food for a couple of days. And their answer is, your heavenly Father sent us. Those people are coming to the church to check it out. And once a month, uh, they have a, a community barbecue where they hire a jumping castle and they put on a free barbecue for everybody and all those people have been connected. They come, the gospel is preached and people are coming to the Lord Jesus every week. Prayer launches evangelism. Do you believe that? I mean, that's... do, do. Do you believe that witness in the Scriptures? Do you believe that our Heavenly Father wants to pour out a spirit of prayer on this church right here in this community so that the families of West Brisbane get an opportunity to respond to the gospel. Do you believe that that's on the Father's heart? Then why don't we ask? Why don't we ask, Lord, pour out a spirit of prayer upon us. It's as simple as that. If we know that Jesus wants us to pray, if we know the Father wants to give the gift of his Spirit, then surely all we have to do as a church now, I got you praying individually before. We're praying corporately now and asking God to pour out a spirit of prayer upon us so that the gospel will penetrate the community all around us. Let's pray. Father, we've been believed the lie that our prayers were powerless and ineffective. And we depend on others to do the praying for us until we hit a crisis and then we cry out to you, help, rescue me. But Father, I believe you're saying to us tonight, 
that that was a lie that we've believed. And the enemy hasn't wanted us to understand what's available to us if only we would ask. So, Father, we come to you trusting that your word is true, that you do not lie, and that we are covered with the righteous, the robe of righteousness, the gift given to us. So as a righteous person, each one of us can come to your throne of grace. Each one of us can plead for the salvation of our friends and family, of our community. And each one of us can expect the power of heaven to come down and radically transform lives. Change hearts that are hard. Transform minds that are blocked. And so, Father, in Jesus' name, we pray for an outpouring of the spirit of prayer upon us tonight. For we confess we don't know how to pray as we ought. And we need you, Holy Spirit, to lead and guide us. Give us the words. Put on our hearts the people that we need to be praying for. And give us that persistent faith that doesn't give up, but keeps on pushing and pushing till the breakthrough comes. Father, thank you that you open up the storehouse of heaven when we pray and pour down blessings, pour down the provision for our every need, pour down faith. So come now, Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name.